Hello folks, welcome back and if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Before we get into this week's show, I'd like to talk about what it means to be a high performance human. It has nothing to do with how fast you swim, bike or run, but it's got everything to do with your sleep, nutrition, physical activity, personal relationships, work habits and so much more. And if these are areas you'd like to improve on, then we would love to help you. I currently have availability to take on a couple of clients and my wife Beth, who is a certified life coach, also has some availability. So depending on what you're looking to focus on, we've got you covered and you can find contact details in the show notes. This week's guest. Just think for a moment about most triathletes. The ones I know are great at spinning plates. They're high achievers and it's normal practice for them to have lots going on in their lives. And today's guest is no exception. When Bianca Fernandez was growing up, she excelled at her schoolwork but had no real interest in PE or sporting activities. Then, at the age of 29, she decided to follow the Couch to 5K program. She did complete that event, but in her own words, it wasn't fast, but she finished and she was so proud of her accomplishment that it motivated her on to greater challenges. Marathon running, 70.3 distance triathlons, and eventually Ironman. By a stroke of luck in 2019, she entered for Ironman Sweden and, as a consequence, she won a place at the Ironman World Championships in a special 40-year lottery. And at that time, she became the first ever athlete from Dominica to compete. Along the way, she encountered lots of challenges to her life in work as a female in a male-dominated industry and living in a country where access to sports activities was limited. All of her triathlon and life challenge experiences have driven her not just to participate in bigger and bigger events, but also the desire to encourage more females into sport through her charity Fund Her Try UK and at work where she volunteers as part of a group to improve diversity in the workplace. So let's crack on and hear from Bianca. Hey, welcome to the show, Bianca Fernandez. Thank you so much, Simon. Thank you for having me. It feels like we're going to have a longer conversation than we normally do because I think our previous meetings have usually been at the outlaw finish lines when you're a little bit distressed from uh, pushing yourself yes. so hard. Absolutely. Like every time you saw me at the end of outlaw, I've been like quite out of it, just trying to disappear as quickly as possible into food in the food coma. So <laughs> this is definitely a much more uh, sedate state for me. Like... Well, you, you have a lot going on in your life, don't you? Um and we should talk maybe uh, at some point about you being an outlaw ambassador. Um, you have a full-time job working in a bank. Um, yes. You run a charity yes. uh, to help females um, get involved in triathlon. So is it called Fund Her Try? Fund Her Try UK, that's correct. Okay, so there's Fund Her Try. Obviously, you've got your own training to do. Yes. Um, you've got some other voluntary work you do within the bank uh, uh, around diversity so that adds a, a few more hours onto your sort of um onto your plate and um and then you do your outlaw ambassador stuff and then i guess you need to see, squeeze sleep in there somewhere as well <laughs> and family and my poor husband needs some attention sometimes so so yes it's a uh, definitely it's a full on plate i think i i, I I grew up like that, you know, my mom, will, like after school, will sign me up to all of the extracurriculars available out there. I was president of my school. I got to all of the activities. 
I will volunteer for a number. So I I actually have not been free since something like 1990s. I haven't had a free <laughs> hour since then. So let, let's let's um I was interested when I talked to triathletes about their background and um what, what they did as children. Were, were you a, were you sporty as a child? You know, did you swim no. or run? nothing like my family cannot believe all the sports I do now because I would really go out my way to get out of PE in school and I was just terrible I have no natural ability just absolutely hated any physical activity uh I was a really good student though so I was honor student so the peace teachers couldn't fail me at PE so they would just say like okay just run a lap of the track and off you go and I would just go and go to the library and and that will be it so uh, I only started doing any sports at age 29 as a complete adult um I was at the at time going through you know some mild depression and I just really needed a challenge and I thought that because sports has always been so hard for me and I've never been good at it I thought like this is a good challenge this is something that will keep me busy so I signed up to a local 10k race in three months uh, I went for my first run that was just two minutes that's all I, I could run non-stop so I just did you know a cash to 5k kind of plan and then from that to 10k and I ran my first 10k in those three months and I never felt more accomplished uh, just because I ran for one hour and 15 minutes that's what my 10k took me but I didn't walk I didn't stop and that was like oh, the proudest moment I've ever had in at the time my 29 years of walking this earth so and that's how it all started for me so when when was that then when when would when would we be talking 10 about? years ago 10, 10 years, years ago. ago okay yeah. So what are we took oh, 2013 okay were you inspired by the Olympics then to get active? No, 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 not at all. I was living in Spain at the moment. I was doing a, I'm originally from Dominican Republic, by the way. So I went, I came to Spain in 2007 to do a master's degree. So obviously away from home, a new environment, uh, new everything. So uh, the, the sports is not that grassroots in Spain as it is in the UK. You know, I didn't know anybody doing any sports. And the people who actually did it, you know, were uh, through federations. So they were like, almost elite, you know, like what we'll call a top age grouper, you know, you don't have your everyday person doing sports. So, so when I just decided to do a 10K, that was really out of nowhere. I, I didn't have anybody to relate to that was doing that. And I was alone. Nobody was running as slow as I did. So I would just go through like very lonely runs or no clubs. So, uh, but yeah, it was, I was still went for it and you know I still and I still love that decision because it just led me to today so is it is it still the same in Spain today then because they do have good party I mean I, my experience of triathlon for instance is that it's very popular in Spain um but is is the grassroots thing as well developed as it is in the UK of running it is a little more uh triathlon is still miles behind so triathlon they don't have a like independent clubs that we have in the UK so most of the clubs are uh, are race teams you know they're not the clubs are you just go and train with a club and actually there's a lot of competition between triathlon clubs you know which one is the race team so they're actually trying to get the best athletes and and not just you know your everyday just finishers right so um, i i was going to do a triathlon um 
last weekend in, in, in Spain and I couldn't do it because they changed the cutoffs to a cutoff that was like, that's who can do these ones? Like today, I'm not a bad, I'm a faster athlete than when I started. And, and for example, the bike cutoff is a very hilly bike in the south of Barcelona. And it was only three and a half hours for a bike with a thousand meters of elevation for the cutoff. It was like, who can do that? Like I am a very decent cyclist and I will struggle to do this cutoff. And, and that race was sold out. So it's still, and but there were only six women on the start line. So, and only, so that that was the that was a race this weekend then. Yes, last weekend. So I can see that it's still done at a very top age group, you know, elite level. You know, there's still, you know, it hasn't. Ha- I think it's just ten years behind the UK, pretty much, in, in that sense. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to me this, and I think we all, you know, wherever we are we complain about the things that we have in our home country. So we complain about the health service over here and we complain about, you know, this and that and the other, but actually if we got out and looked and saw what was available in some other countries, um, we would find that for a lot of things, we we are ahead of the game, particularly in, particularly in things like grassroots and sport development and access for all people. Um, And we're going to talk, we're going to talk about diversity and female participation a bit, but I would sense that for a lot of countries, we're still ahead of the game there as well. Well, I will, I will, I will tell you something. I will never have been where I am today if I had stayed in Spain. You know, the only reason that I stayed in the sport is because, like I said, it was very lonely when I started. I didn't know anybody. And I joined a virtual running community from the UK. It doesn't exist anymore, but it's sort of like, a, it was like a Facebook kind of thing. And it was everybody from the UK. That was the only place that I felt that I could post my slow runs, get some encouragement, get some advice. And, and then when I moved to the UK through work, you know, I saw like everybody does the sport, you know, and I wasn't even the slowest person. I could jo- join any clubs and, and I could join cycling clubs with women and I could do all those things and find a community, which I never found there. And that's sort of like what just completely transformed my experience in the sport and said, oh, this is where I belong. This is my tribe. But I would never have done that. Like Spain has obviously fastest, uh, um, faster finisher times, et cetera. But the gender parity there is massive. And it's mm-hmm. because, you know, like I said, that triathlon, I look at the finish line, they only had six women on the start line and only five finished. Wow. And and that's, you know, it's kind of like because it's just such uh, it's pitch at such a top level. It's not pitch, you know, at an everyone mass participation sport. So I can assure you, like in the UK, we are miles ahead of, for example, you know, like it's Spain, you know, in my country, Dominican Republic, by the way, as well. So. Uh, okay. There was no sports when I left. Now we are doing more sports. Now we're encouraging that. You know, now we see Iron Man on television. Everybody wants mm-hmm. to be one, etc. But when I left, that was also not a culture there. So um, I absolutely, we should give ourselves a pat on the back for that, for that like grassroots uh, sports encouragement and participation that we have. Okay, well let's let's rewind then to 2013. So you did this. You did this 10K, you had this massive sense of achievement and pride in what you'd, in, in what you'd accomplished. Um, where, did you, where did you go from there? Did you carry on with the running or were you sort oh, of yeah. finding out about triathlon? No, I I was hooked. I, I was like, I was, this was a drug for me and I just wanted to do And I didn't enjoy running. I just <laughs> loved finishing that race. I really hadn't, like I didn't, like people love just going forever so I didn't feel that you know for me it was really hard work but that 
finish line moment, it was for me to say I needed to feel that again. And I felt like, okay, I just went then for another run of like 13K. I said, okay, that wasn't too bad. I felt like, you know, I, I wasn't very fast, but I could run for longer. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I signed up to a half marathon for like five months after and did my first marathon just one year after I had done my first ever 10K. And because I was just like more and more and more and I want to do it more. And uh, I was part of that online community that I mentioned. I met my now husband there. He had done at the time like 10 marathons. So he was like a resident marathon runner in that community. So I went to him to ask him for advice and some coaching and he helped me a lot. And, you know, when I did my first marathon, we were together already. And, and for a long time, it was just running. That's all I did. But uh, because in Spain gets so hot in the summer, so the mm-hmm. next summer we were having a heat wave, something like 45 degrees in Madrid. And I was like, couldn't go for one run. So somebody said like, oh, do you know uh, triathlons? Uh, you, there's this women triathlon. Uh, it's very small. It's just a super sprint. And it was just uh, pitch that women. And and that sounded okay. Like I could something like to take me away from the fact that I couldn't do any running. And then I, because I still didn't see any triathlon. So I Googled what what a triathlon was and I came across the Kona documentary Uh and I thought that was insane. I had done marathons now and I was like, how can somebody do like that swim, that bike and then do a marathon, which Uh I know it's really, really hard, but this baby triathlon that I was pitched at, it was something like a 300 meter swim, uh, 8K bike and a 2K run. Um, I didn't have a bike. I didn't know how to swim. So <laughs> just, a, just a small barriers to entry, you know. Not, uh, and so I went to my local decathlon, you know, I bought a hundred pound bike. And then I joined my local leisure center and hired a coach to help me swim just at 300 meters. So, you know, we'll speak later a little bit about my charity and how we try to remove some of these barriers with helping women with the triathlon entry. So the triathlon entry was actually very cheap. It was only 20 euros. So, but the whole thing cost me about 500 because obviously I had to pay for all these lessons. I had to pay for mm-hmm. my bike. And that was a lot on investment on a sport that I didn't know if I was going to like. So it was just a miracle that I just decided to go with it. But but yeah, that was a, a tough barrier to to entry there. So that's quite interesting then. So despite what you were saying about the um, lack of grassroots participation diversity, you did manage to find a female-only triathlon in Spain. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what, what, what year was that then? Because I'm interested in this timeline from when you first started exercising um... right up to... Well, so that would have been maybe two or three years after I, I did my my first run, and and yes, like like although there is not that grassroots participation, you know, they have this women triathlon. They also have a women's seven k run, which is a charity run for breast cancer fundraiser. So there's like this spot of events, and and things have you know progressed a bit more. But back then, this what this was it. So. I found that, obviously, like I said, I work in a bank, so I work in a very male-dominated environment. So I'm, I'm very used to that. You know, I'm very used to all the men taking all the space and, and being intimidated and that. So I I found that was quite nice to go do a women's mm-hmm. tryout. I felt like I could be a beginner there. 
I did the whole thing in my swimsuit and didn't feel like any body shame about that because it was just women. So, uh, so that was not that I'm advocating for, for that kind of races, but that was really, really a nice way to enter the sport. So. Um, we should come back to this because I know you've been to Kona a couple of times. So that's a bit further down your journey. And obviously yes. they've just had the um, world championships there, which was a female only race this year for the yeah. first time um, in uh, first time being in separate venues. And so um, we should talk about your thoughts on that uh, to, towards the end. So you do a triathlon, uh, you have this wonderful experience. Um, what happened next? Were you, did you cross the finish line like most people, including myself, going, I'm never going to do that again? And then an hour later, you think, actually, do you know what? If I did a bit more swimming and I rode my bike a bit more, I could be faster. Where's the next entry from? So I definitely knew that that was not going to be my last triathlon. I loved that race from start to finish. Like, absolutely loved it. I, uh, I didn't feel as challenged as when I did my first 10K. You know, I, I, I didn't know how to swim, and I was very happy that I did that swim. But obviously, what it was an event that was finishing like 45, 50 minutes, right? So I, I felt that that was still small. So I definitely dipped in into longer ones. You know, I signed up to the sprint, to the Olympic. Uh, those were events that I, could, I felt that I could do on the back of little training in terms you know once I managed to get to swimming mm -hmm. but my pivotal time when I changed like at the mo at that time I called myself a runner that just occasionally did triathlons I stopped calling myself that and calling myself a triathlete when I signed up to a middle distance try okay and the reason for that was because I was doing this event but I was still very slow and when I signed up to a middle distance I hadn't done that long a swim and I hadn't done that long a bike but I definitely knew that I couldn't do it within the cutoffs. I knew that even if I build that distance, I didn't have that speed. So I felt I had to train specifically for this sport now because I cannot make that 110 typical cutoff and, you know, whatever is the bike. I was just pretty sure I would not make it. So at that point, I just shifted all my focus into now I'm a triathlete. So I mm -hmm. then started training as one. And that's sort of like, that was 2018. So, and that was sort of like the moment I um, became Bianca Triathlon. <laughs> it's all very interesting to me when I chat with folks who race as age groupers about this identity they have in their own head and amongst their friends or the way their friends see them is, you know, that, oh, that's Bianca. She's often people will say, oh, she's the mad triathlete. She does all these crazy things. You know, she swims in cold oceans and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's really difficult, isn't it, if you're injured or you aren't able to train that you think, well, I'm I'm no longer a triathlete if I can't do triathlons yeah. um, because we start to believe this identity ourselves. Oh, 100. And like this year, um, so this year I had a number of health issues. So I it's the first year since I did my first Ironman in 2019 that I haven't done, obviously, apart from COVID year. And this year I haven't done any Ironman. And I sort of like lost myself. I, am I a triathlete if I'm not doing triathlon? <laughs> so mm -hmm. I just lost my identity because it's so engrossed with finishing triathlons. And to be fair, I have done triathlons. I was at Outlaw. We were there. You you greeted me at the finish line. I did another middle distance. Um, but because I didn't do a full distance this year, which is like it was my goal, I had been completely in, in a dark place because I was like I just lost my identity fully that's a yeah I mean that's amazing 
really. And it, but it's such a common story about about people's identity and when, when, what they're doing in their life and how it relates to that whole thing. So we're advancing now. So you, you <laughs> mentioned there that you did your first Ironman. I mean, it took me eight um, in 2019, which is six years, not just after you started doing triathlon, but six years after you actually sort of got up off the couch and started progressing to that that 5K event. And that's that's quite an amazing transformation to me. When I started doing triathlon, probably 35 years ago, it took me eight years to to build up to doing my first Ironman. And I was already doing plenty of running and, and cycling and swimming then. But I know people do things a bit quicker these years, but that, that's a huge leap in terms of commitment and um, probably feeling exposed and wondering what you've taken on when you when you fill in that entry form. I mean, totally. And, and, but I am, you know, so, so the fun, fun fact, you know, when I signed up in 2018 to my first item and I had done now three middle distance only under my first year. And I said, look, I'm going to give myself one year to train. I can defer this race if I'm not ready. Uh, and for me, it was like, what's the harm in trying? You know, mm -hmm. I can just give it a go. I can just train for it. And instead of, training and way to be fit and strong etc i can just go for it and 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 that's sort of like an attitude that not that i everybody can need to live by it but i really wasn't coming from a athletic background i just came from a background like i'm gonna put the hard work in you know i want to have my coach i'm just gonna get whatever hours you know I, I chatted with her how many hours can i get this done with because obviously i know i have my work and all my stuff i was like yeah i can make that work and what is the you know we made the whole arrangement so like i can give this a go and and i was like there's literally no downside to trying since i could defer it so plot twist though uh, i had signed up to ironman sweden and i had signed up on that race because he had it played to my you know to everything that i needed it was larger cutoffs a very flat bike um colder you know temperatures and that year, the uh, Ironman was running, uh, because it was the 40 years of Ironman, they were running this lottery that everybody who entered an Ironman was automatically entering to a draw to go to Kona. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know about that draw. It would just enter automatically just by entering a race. And then I just got a message. You know, I wake up one day and I have an email from like, oh, you are invited to participate in the Ironman World Championship. You say, well, obviously it's a scam. This wow. is people wanting to get, you know, what my thousand dollars. Uh, and then everybody from my tri club was like, no, no, Mike Riley is saying it on Facebook, like listing out the names. And you are saying, I said, okay, that is absolutely crazy. I haven't even done an Ironman, and I have been invited to go to the Ironman World Championships. Um. I mean, I was so I was so happy and excited, but I was yeah. also terrified because that's not what the beginner first timer needs as a first race. But again, I said, like, look, I'm given this opportunity. I thought like I will never get there by merit because I'm too slow. I'll probably be forever be too slow. Uh, so this is my one chance. So I'm just giving it a, a, a go. And Nobody from my country had ever been at the Ironman World Championship. I was going to be the first person from Dominican Republic. So I just felt like I had to just do that just in, just for visibility, you know, just for putting my country on that map, basically. Let's just rewind. Did did they put any stipulation on that um, lottery win then that you had to do another um, Ironman race beforehand? Or could you have just could you have cancelled the Sweden entry and gone straight to Kona? 
Yeah, the only stipulation that I had to do was 70.3. Okay. Uh, which is something that, you know, like in fairness, after I did some research, because I did have a lot of hate, you know, a lot of backlash of I was taking uh, a, a slow, yeah. etc. And, and, and to be fair, once I did the research, a lot of people go to Kona all sorts of ways with less mm-hmm. merit than I was going to. So that 70.3 validate to validate your slot, you know, it's pretty typical when they do this. Yep. So that's all I needed to do. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I defer like Sweden was six weeks before. So I was never going to do both. So it was deferred that race. And, and having said that, I said, like, I cannot go and like do my first ever at Kona. Like that feels insane. So I, I, I signed up to, there was a local full distance in Yorkshire. It's called the Yorkshire Man. And, and I signed up to just do the swim and bike in like 10K of the run. Because I, I knew I, I had done now like five marathons. I knew I could do that run. But obviously my point is, can I do that swim in that time? Can I do that bike in that time? Mm-hmm. So I signed up to this Yorkshire Man triathlon as a training race just to do those two. And and actually, so I did it. I did it within the cutoffs. I was so happy. And when I started my run, I was actually feeling great. So I just decided just to do the whole thing. So that became my first ever full distance triathlon. You know, I was a Yorkshire woman. <laughs> so, uh, and that was in June. So I, I felt that I didn't have anything to prove anymore. That was for me the day that I proved that I could do that, that everything was possible. You know, I, I raised just a hundred people, nine women, and I was one of them. So I went to Kona uh, with a renewed sense of belief and confidence. You say, even if I didn't make it here through podium, like I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Like I'm okay to be here. Did you, did you just say then that you, when you got this lottery place, um, that you got a lot of backlash from people saying, yeah, and I, um, is that is that correct? Did I hear that right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. A lot of people were indicating how I was making a mockery of the Ironman World Championship uh, with people who are training for years and don't make it there. But yeah. as a people fail to believe that, to understand that I don't make these rules. Like, mm-hmm. Ironman is still going to give those places whether I take it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. They have all these other pathways. Like, I have more concern with the multimillionaires buying their eBay auctions, you know, for like 20000 and or this you know, Hollywood stars are also get gifted places. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, that's kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had a legacy spot to race in Kona in 2017. So I, that, and the, the qualification criteria for that was to do um, 12, huh? 12. Yeah. So I'd done that over uh, 15, um, no, 12 years. So, but I still got a backlash from that. People saying, "Well, you haven't qualified properly. You haven't qualified right." And and I'm um, a friend of a friend knows Gordon Ramsay, and I met him out there one of the years I was there. And the amount of grief he got from people saying, "You know, Gordon Ramsay's only done fourteen hours. He's never properly qualified." Um, and I, to your point about Ironman, give these places away. They Gordon Ramsay was an ambassador. They had a lady out there who'd one year who'd been caught in a, a forest fire when she was doing a trail run and had 80% burns on her body. They had a guy who was um, an Olympic gold medalist um, called Apollo Ono. Uh, he was a um, multiple yep. Olympic gold medalist in ice skating, uh, speed skating. Um, they had Alex Zanardi who lost both legs in a, in a Formula One crash. You know, they've had all sorts of actors and celebrities and people that are doing these races who are ambassadors. And yet people complain. It, you can complain as loudly as you want. You're never going to get that spot because Ironman's got it earmarked for somebody else. And it, 
the thing that annoys me about this is anybody who knows anything about the history of Iron Man will know that Valerie Silk, who was the original owner or one of the original owners, had this lottery that they used to use or have every year to be able to give places away to what they what she called was the everyman, the people who provide the tapestry for. So there was a guy from um, a local in Kona called Cowman. You know, he's he's an old guy. You might have seen him around. He's got a Viking hat with horns on. He's got a big beard. He used to ride his sort of cruiser bike around. And he he's a celebrity locally, and he used to do that race. But he would never qualify anywhere to get a yep. spot. But she felt that people like him, added some colour. And if all you ever did was give the spots to the people who qualified, it would be a very elitist race. And I, and I know there are some people who think, well, it is the world championships, um, you know, so it should be elitist. But to be quite frank, the Americans call everything a world championships, even yes. if there's only two teams playing, don't they? So um, maybe we shouldn't read too much into that. So I I, I feel sad that 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 you had to go through that, as I do for, for anybody but who like, gets a space. But honestly, Simon, last, in 2022, I qualified the right way to, to Kona and that was because women for try what had given quite rightly additional slots to the race that I was doing and I was still got back last for that you know still oh, of course. because yeah. you know it was women for try slots obviously people are going to complain you know either way and to the, to the point of going like I mean it's a self-declared private company calling it a world championship so we yeah, know exactly. it's, you know it's not a world championship after the pros and the top age groupers, all of us are extras in a movie. Like yeah. all of us are just there for participation and to make the race profitable. I mean, I thought Kona was incredibly magical. I just loved it. Mm -hmm. Like my dream is to come back. Uh, but I know like, like, but even people who are at the top of their races and win their age groups in some races go to Kona just to be top half. You know, they go to Kona just to be nowhere near mm -hmm. a podium. So uh, so I was, uh, you know, it, it was hard to navigate. And obviously for me, it just put a lot of pressure because I felt that I had to finish and I had to finish in a decent time to just, because people was like, oh, if I don't finish, you know, all the shame that I'm going, they're going to be right, that I shouldn't have been mm -hmm. there in the first place. Um, so it just put a lot of pressure and you know, additional pressure. But I think like throughout life, it, it just, it, it's, it's what I've experienced in a, in a number of ways. And obviously the haters are also louder sometimes than the supporters so so many so much more people were happy about me seeing like an everyday person going to Kona and feeling more related to that journey but they were more quiet in our approach so I thought like oh my god mm -hmm. everybody hates me and the, so no it was actually just that the my that's a minority that's louder I hope you're enjoying the show so far and learning a lot. If you aren't already a regular listener, I hope you feel you might come back. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so you know whenever a new episode arrives. I publish these twice a week, ad-free, and with the mission of improving the health and performance of endurance athletes around the world. And to help me, I'd love it if you could share the episode with one person you think could benefit. If you have a couple more minutes, perhaps you could leave me a review on your chosen platform once you've finished listening to this episode. Okay, let's get back to the show. And I mean, you said that, that there wasn't a huge following for triathlon and Ironman in, in Dominican Republic, but you, with you being the first one, did you become a bit of a celebrity then on the um, Oh, absolutely. Back at home? Yeah. When I went back, you know, I had receptions. 
<laughs> and you know what? Like last year, uh, it was this two. Last year was it? Yes, last year I was there, and there was three of us. Wow. So you know, two women and one man. So that's and this year that they are now we have like ten on on to both events. So. I, I felt that everybody there was so happy because he just put our country on. And like, I wasn't nowhere near the last finisher, by the way. So, so you know, on, um, uh, is it? No, it's, it's early on in the week, isn't it? They have the athlete parade and you walk down a lead yes. drive from, from the hotel down towards the community centre where they have the ex, uh, the expo. And then you you walk in and everybody's got a flag and you would have been the only person. The only person. Um, well, my with husband flag walked and, with me. Uh, and the first person to carry it did you must have been incredibly emotional at that moment honestly i felt like i was in the olympics i said oh this is what the olympics fail and uh fun fact you know all the small countries because it wasn't i mean that wasn't one country with one person but there were very small countries with two athletes so we were getting the biggest cheers you know we mm-hmm. were like everybody was really really giving you love and i was just tears through my eyes so the the flag is super heavy. You have a flag and a in mm. a in a letter sign. So my husband had to help me with the flags. He was <laughs> walking like this very tall white man who's obviously not Dominican. And I was just waving at everybody. For me, that was it was just really magical. And and I felt that it just opened it opened up the sport more in my in our country as well. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. That's an amazing I, I would have seen you there. I was in I was in Kona in twenty nineteen with my my wife now so we would have been stood watching the parade and um absolutely uh, cheer, cheering you on i've probably got some video footage somewhere of you um, just as <laughs> you come, just, yeah. just as you come to the junction on a lee drive this um i think it was uncle billy's um condos there on the corner and they always have a commentator shouting out and he always gives an extra special cheer to all the folks who are sort of um not Obviously, there's the Germans and the Kiwis and the Canadians have got lots, but he always gives an extra special cheer, cheer course, for the countries yeah. with a small number of people. So, um, yeah, well, that's great. Um, so enthusiasm undiminished um, and <laughs> rekindled by your Kona activities and everything. Um, what I'm interested in, Bianca, you, you said to me that you work in banking, right? Now, that's a, yes. that's a high-pressure world. You, you mentioned earlier that you're the only female and, you know, you, it's, it's a difficult thing to be a female in a male-dominated industry. So I guess you have to probably – do you feel like you have to try and prove yourself a bit more just because of that? Um, I do it less and less. I have to do it less and less. I'm quite senior now, but when I was in Spain and I was quite junior – um it, starting out was quite really tough you know mm-hmm. i always get comments so first because i'm a woman and second because i was dominican so uh, it was the presentation like oh surely bianca is gonna do that presentation because she's gonna do the coloring etc <laughs> um uh, a lot of people will say me you don't look dominican and I was like, what does that even mean? Like, I, I <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> like, right. <laughs> yeah, what is that even like? I'm absolutely in, and it's just a reflection of like, oh, because I had a higher education and I was working in a bank. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, obviously, there are different uh, gender gender rate ratios at a bank. You know, there are very, uh, teams are maybe 50 50. I've always worked with, in the trading floor. So, oh, I'm not a trader myself. I just work in associated roles with trading. And so like, yes, that's pretty much male dominated, a lot of testosterone drive. So, uh, so yes, like being 
shouted at and in a very aggressive environment is, is, is all I have known for over a decade. So, uh, so I don't find that any, especially, and also, uh, obviously, the, London is a much more diverse place than Spain. Um, there are people from everywhere. I don't, st- you know, I, I don't seek out as a Dominican. I, there's people from everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. I definitely seek out as a woman because there's just f- few of us. But uh, the I, I draw a lot of comparisons to triathlon. You know, when I, you know, did let's say Adam and Barcelona in 2021, that it was only 9% women. I was like, oh, this is just like my everyday work. You know, this is, mm-hmm. this is the, that environment that I've always been uh, associated with. So, uh, so yeah, so they said less and less, I have to be proven my worth. But yeah, you still have all these authorities that were emotional. I, I have people like literally just don't let me speak. <laughs> you know, you still have fun. He's like, "Sorry, can I just finish my 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 thought? Can I just finish my arguments?" And so you still have a lot of that. But change is 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 slow, but it's there. I join. A, I'm part of our women's employee resource group at work. That's a voluntary role, by the way. It's about ten hours a month, and it's around driving like internal culture and drive and try to like, understand why people leave. What can a bank do to be more mm-hmm. welcoming to women? Uh, maternity, uh, for, you know, like, for example, promotion process, how do you come back from maternity leave and, and how do you keep your seniority mm-hmm. and all that kind of uh, work within the bank? Because I, I think I, I lo- uh, sometimes I feel frustrated. Like if I just hate these environments, I should just leave them. But I actually believe it's better to just drive change from inside. So mm-hmm. I, I, I found that I can drive a lot of that energy into work probably. Okay, so I'm thinking we've got 168 hours in a week. Um, you have a certain commitment to work. You've added a little bit more now in terms of your voluntary um, work within uh, within the bank, 10 hours a month. Then you've got your triathlon training. R- roughly how long or uh, how much time do you devote to that each week on average? Because I guess it'll, it, yeah. there's an ebb and flow, so isn't it, it throughout the year? It's an in, so it's typically about 10 to 15. That will be 15 will be my biggest, uh, like that's what I, I've said my max. Like I cannot do more than that. So, and where, where do you, where do you live now? Did you, did I hear you say you're in York? London. Oh, you're in London. Right. Okay. Sorry. Um, so you're in London, so it's not easy to train there either, is it? You have to, you have to go a little, uh, a little distance to get in a decent bike ride. Well, I live on my turbo trainer, to be fair, because <laughs> right. it's uh, my midweek sessions, you know, one hour, one hour and a half sometimes, but typically an hour, um, a little bit of higher intensity and, and sort of like in and out. So uh, that has been incredible. Uh, it's incredible time efficient for me. I, I know mm. a lot of people hate the turbo. But for me, it's just great. I also live quite near Regent's Park, which is a typical place that a lot of people go to train in the mornings. It's close to the, to the traffic. It's a 5K loop. So if you need to train with others, you know, like hard chain guns, etc., you just go at 6 a.m., 6 to 7, do a high hour of training in there. But yes, most of my big volume is on the weekend because of exactly what you're saying about having to travel out to get a decent bike ride etc so are you involved with the community of triathletes in london at all where you live or work oh yes i i am in my triathlon club i i'm a co-chair of a female cycling club i am part of the 10 idol women which is a group that are encouraging community of more women doing endurance events 
And I'm also trustee in a charity that aims to bring more women of color into cycling. So I, I don't train with these groups a lot because obviously, as you, as you will know, Ironman training is quite specific and uh, it is sometimes hard to just fit it around social. Mm -hmm. But I am part of this like of this wider group. So whenever I can, you know, fit my long ride with a club ride, you know, I, I, I definitely do that. Also. All right. Um, right. I'm getting a sense of your life now. So, and then I want to talk about this charity that you're involved yes. with fund her try. So tell me about how that all started. Cause it was an, it was an American initiative, wasn't it? I think. And then you, it is uh, an American initiative. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and I actually met the owner at Kona last year. She lives there. So, well, the founder of On Her Try US. So I, I just, I was interviewed by local media because I was the first person, from, you know, one of the few people from Dominican Republic there. And Lynn, uh, she was also interviewed because of this charity that she started. We were interviewed on the same day. So when I watched the, the recording and I saw her interview that she created this charity to support first time uh, women doing their first triathlon, uh, that they raise funds to pay for the race entry. I said, this is exactly what I want to do. This just sounds like so mm -hmm. practical, such an easy way. And I thought bad on my first triathlon, how the race entry wasn't so much of a barrier because it was so cheap. But I had all these other costs around bike and swimming lessons. And I mm -hmm. said, like, if my triathlon entry had been, you know, 60 quid, 70 quid, which is what it costs in the UK, I probably would have said, you know what, like, this is all too much. So I hunted her down in Kona, all this whilst preparing for the race and everything. And we <laughs> had a coffee and 45 minutes after, yes, I had the right to do a spin-off and fund her Try UK. So I came back, you know, full of energy uh, from Kona, just posted a message on one of those communities, like who can, who wants to come in and help me on this project? So I, I got, you know, uh, three other uh, girls uh, that we did Ironman Barcelona together and they they came on board to become trustees and sort of like I took time off work actually just took holidays just so I could build a website and just put structure and everything around it and in three weeks we were live you know that's like so everybody was I was talking with two people that you know what that's something that only women can do like <laughs> men will still be three months after in, <laughs> in sort of like what is our business model <laughs> Excellent. And in three weeks we were live and had a one sponsor athlete already. That's so tell me a little bit about the mechanics of Fund Her Try then. You know, how, how does it actually work? So we have two main programs. Obviously, we've been just one year anniversary right now, so we're quite new. So we have two main programs. Our first one is their sponsorship. So we raise funds and we pay for the entry for women wanting to do their first ever triathlon. It's up to Olympic distance. So we don't support middles or, or Ironman because women, in reality, they enter the sport, you know, through the spring, their Olympic, etc. So uh, we have a very simple application process. So uh, it's not means tested, but we do ask the women to self-declare that the finances of the triathlons are a barrier to the sport, you know, that they have considered that and, and that's a reason that they wouldn't enter it. Uh, once they meet that criteria, you know, we cover the race entry. Uh, we have partnered with race organizers, so Challenge London, Outlaw, who have been incredibly generous and have been able to give us you know, additional entry fees. So through donations, we get obviously a, a number of women, but through this partnership, we gave even more women to, to the start line. 
Our other program is, is a mentorship program. So this mm -hmm. is not for first timer. This is for women who have been in the sport for only three years, under three years. We want to keep those women in the sport, right? We don't want to like, you did your first triathlon and off you go. We want to make sure that we nurture mm -hmm. them and, and, and keep giving them support. So this is a six month program where we pair, uh, uh, you know, we pair beginners with an experienced female triathlete for like how to navigate, you know, being a woman in the sport, you know, how, how do you race with your period, you know, can you swim and, and all that kind of like nuisance conversations, you know, that are very specific to us. So we try to to support them through, through them. Um, triathlon community has been quite generous. So it has allowed us to expand in our service. So we have some coaches that have come on board and mm -hmm. come to give us webinars. Uh, resources to our triathletes. So uh, honestly, I feel like triathlon her try is like the dream that I if that I had I would have loved it when I started. Because yes, okay. So I mean, triathlon's not an easy sport to get into, is it? Um, you know, you talk about the entry fee there, but even if you've got your entry fee paid, there's the um, some of the things that you mentioned when you did your first try. You didn't have a bicycle. Yeah. So that's not a, that's not an insubstantial expense to somebody who's struggling for money. Um, learning to swim, or even yep. having, or even having somewhere where they can actually go to get swimming lessons. I mean, uh, you know, I live in Yorkshire, so good to hear that you're a Yorkshire woman now by uh, <laughs> by finishing that race. Um, and in a few weeks, they're closing all the swimming pools in the in the town of Huddersfield because they can't afford to keep them open. And so that's, that's not just sad for Terrible. the people like you and I that go there training. It's, it's yeah. the, the community of the older folks for whom that's their own physical activity. It's kids lessons. It's, you know, we talk about swimming being a fundamental sort of Absolutely. keep yourself, keep yourself alive activity and a healthy activity. Um, and, and that's being closed down to a lot of people. So um, what help do you provide to the, um, to the ladies who've come and asked for your help to enter a, a race in terms of getting that equipment and getting started? So we don't have any of, obviously, because our funds are quite limited, so we don't offer any financial support there. However, the triathlon community has been so generous, so we have had kit donations. So triathletes, you know, that are giving away their own wetsuits. You know, I, for example, like my commuter bike, one of my triathletes, uh, she used it for the season, you know, to train on my commuter bike and race on it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and now she's loved this sport. Now she went and bought her own bike, you know, but she didn't know. So she didn't have to do that expense up front. Uh, we tried some brands that given us uh, amazing discounts so our athletes can, you know, access, you know, something like a wetsuit. That's the second, mm -hmm. you know, most expensive item after the bike. So they are be able to, you know, access the wetsuit, 40% discount, 50% discount. So they get all those sort of like this showered in support. So it's not, it's more palatable, palatable the, the the whole entry to the sport. We let's see because we are UK wide charity. You know, we don't do any uh, in person sessions. You know, we don't support that that kind of coaching. However, we're trying to look this year if that's something that we can add. Uh, we're applying for grants, government grants. You know, sort of like Sports England that they support a lot of like female participation and they want to increase numbers in across whatever we don't see. Uh, women so we want to apply for some grants that would allow us to like deliver some female sessions um and in 2024 we have also partnered with another charity which is called cycle sisters so they are bringing muslim women into cycling and a lot of them want to do triathlon mm -hmm. and they have an additional level of challenges you know in terms of attire 
swimming lessons that you were mentioning, like they need some of them need to have that on an all female environment, mm-hmm. which is an additional layer of barrier. So we're trying to work with them, race organizers, just to make sure that we can remove some of those barriers for them to get come in the sport. I mean, triathlon has been particularly low in female participation, but also in cultural and, and ethnic um, participation, yes. hasn't it? You know, and uh, are, are you doing any work there to try and encourage different cultures and ethnicities to to sort of be interested in triathlon or to at least increase its awareness? So before I did Fun Her Try, like why everybody knows me is because I was just quite vocal about all these problems. You know, I was just campaigning. And honestly, I, I I just kept posting about all the things that Ironman was doing wrong, for example. Because I mean, we we love to hate Ironman, right? And and, and but they do have come a long way into their mm-hmm. diversity junior and journey. And I think I want to believe it's because of the work with Sika Henry from people like us that we have raised to them exactly you know some of the problems directly what they are. So I think people of color in in, in triathlon are something like two percent. And uh, the stats from uh, swimming England is that only about like 95% of black people don't swim. So can swim. So of course, black people are thinking about triathlon. They cannot even swim, right? So so the, when you look at those barriers, you know, in each individual sport, so those are things that I've been campaigning for a long time and trying to explain. I, I, I had a post that went viral where I was talking about my hair, you know, how I keep the snapping swimming uh, hats. The, sw- the helmets don't feed the moment that my hair grows. So I have to keep it short for the sport. Nobody has decided to figure out a helmet that's both arrow and can fit afro hair. I ha- I, so I have to adapt to the sport because the sport doesn't really doesn't mm-hmm. have a di- has a diversity problem. So I've been campaigning a lot with this. I I have been in a lot of talks with the likes of British Triathlon in trying to what policies they can implement to make the sport a little bit more inclusive to like a wider range of communities. So what's on her try is, is a female base across all of our, obviously all intersectionality, all of our race and genders, sorry, race and uh, once you're female. Um, yes, I do on the back, on the backside, I do campaign a lot about the problems from our communities and from a racial diver- diverse background. How much of your weekly time does the charity take up now? Because I guess as you, as the charity grows and you know people, more people understand it, and you, you're obviously very engaged in this and passionate about what you do, it, it it would be very difficult not to find yourself being drawn in more and more. So, um, how how much time do you spend at the week, and you know how do you draw boundaries and say, right, I, I just haven't got time for that because I need to do this. It's very difficult, Simon, and 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 obviously it's a labor of love. Like like oh, I'm not getting paid. Nobody, I don't have any employees in my charity, and it got really difficult in the summer for me I, because work actually was really really busy. I was doing much more hours than already the long hours that I was doing. So I was just dedicated a very minimum to the charity. We have a small team of three, but the charity was outgrowing us. So, uh, I mean, we were very successful. I didn't think we were going to be that successful in our first year, but we supported like 80 women between both of our programs. That was incredible. I That surpassed my expectations by about three times. So mm-hmm. I, I I decided to take a step back and and say, I either grow on her try or I either have to take a step back 
and and keep it a smaller charity. And I thought like, well, this is something, this is my baby, it's my biggest project I want to grow in. And for that, I need a bigger team. So I started to, all most of the roles that were done by only the four of us, a lot of them, you know, three people doing role that, you know, one people doing five people's roles. So I put a post out and now I have a team of about 10 people. There's 10 women that, and my husband, he's the, our only male <laughs> employee in the charity, uh, all to come on board. So I have sort of democratized the roles. So like coaching, mentorship. So now that's all done by other people for the charity. I have, you know, I keep my chair role and oversight of all the operations, but Obviously, my my team is empowered to now just off you go and you deliver that project. So my new team has been in place just for a, for a few weeks and they're excellent. They're just women who are also so passionate about this mission. They heard about us from podcasts, from from magazines. So obviously, this this helps. And like I said, they're all volunteers. They're all just dedicating doing this around their jobs and busy lives. So I'm incredibly grateful. And just because we're just passionate about bringing more women to the sport. Wow. And if anyone was to chat with you, Bianca, or hopefully listen to this podcast, I don't think they could fail to be um, caught up in your passion and belief and drive for what you do. So that's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm a little worried, though, that all of this is going to impact your own triathlon. So what, what plans have you got for 2024? Are we going to see you at any outlaw events? Oh, 100. I am... Um, uh... Thankfully, I was, you know, I, I was an outdoor ambassador this year. Incredible opportunity. And, uh, and, and the thing I love most about outdoor is how easy it was for me to have converse, these conversations around diversity, around barriers. And they just implemented changes like immediately, like, oh, larger swim hubs. We can do that. That's not an issue. And it's like, I've been faced with so many issues uh, when I have raised that to other people. And it's such an easy thing. Uh, larger swim quick cutoffs, you know, at the full, I was just, that's just going to help such a wide range of athletes, you know, that the swim cutoff at the, at the full is now 220. So all those things, you know, I raised them directly. So I felt that I could make impact, you know, make an impact from, from, from the inside, just working directly. So, um, it's incredible race organizer. And that's something that you don't always see. So I'm really, really proud to be an ambassador, um, I'm joining again in the team next year. They're continuing to support for her try. So we're going to have a team of women doing their first triathlon at the sprint in, in Nottingham. And mm-hmm. I'll be there as well doing the half on the Sunday. So, yes, you will absolutely see, that, see me there. You, you should come and join us on the Saturday and um, be part of the commentary team so you can call your athletes across the line. Well, I'm a little introverted for that, actually. But if you think I can be a good commentator, I'd love to do that. <laughs> well, um, Bianca, it's been fantastic. Uh, it's an amazing journey. I love the fact that you're putting all of this back into sport. Um, you've obviously got to keep your day job going as well and do your triathlon training. So I hope your sleep doesn't suffer as well while you're <laughs> trying to spin all of these plates. Um, and, you know, thank you for being here and sharing this. I, I hope that at least one person's listening to this and thinks, actually, I'd like to support that charity or maybe I can offer some help in some way to fund yes. her try. So, um, yeah, listeners, it's up to you. Please uh, look out for the link on the show notes. We'll we'll put all of those there. And if you think there's any way in which you can help Bianca out with what she's trying to do, um, please do reach out to her. So, Perfect. Thank you so much, Simon. That's no, it's been great, Bianca, and I look forward to seeing you at an outdoor event in 2024. See you next year. 
thank you again to Bianca for being my guest on the show this week. If you are interested in supporting Fund Her Try, please look out for the links in the show notes. And if you haven't already listened to it, please also check out my new bite-sized podcast episode, which is released every Saturday. These are around 10 minutes in length, and I'm sharing insights on some very specific topics. Now, if you have endurance events to train for in 2024, you might also be interested in my SWAT Inner Circle. We have over 100 like-minded athletes preparing for triathlons, marathons, cycle sportives, and much more. And as a member, they get training plans and coaching guidance. And here's the real killer. You can get this for just £30 per month. And you can find a link for that in the show notes. And if you've got any questions about joining, please email me, simon at thetriathloncoach.com. And while you're looking at the show notes, please make sure you check out all the other links for things that I've talked about, not just in this podcast, but in previous ones. Okay, that's it for this week. Next week, I will have another great guest, and I hope that you'll be able to join me. Bye-bye for now.